0: Today is the fourth Sunday in our sermon series called One Wild and Precious Life. This month, we have been trying to claim that each of us has a story. Each of us has a wild and precious life with only one shot to live it well. This month, we've been looking at stories from the book of Matthew, trying to see who Jesus was and who he called us to be. Last week we looked at the substance of this kingdom that he continued to proclaim and called good news. We did this by looking at the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' best known sermons, what A.J. Levine calls Jesus' greatest hits. This sermon starts with the Beatitudes, instructions for how we are to be poor in spirit, finding our identity and security in God alone. How we are to be pure in heart, completely devoted to God and God's kingdom, and how we are called to be peacemakers People willing to compromise, but refusing to compromise on what is non-negotiable to the kingdom of God. Today, we look at the very next teaching that Jesus gave us after the Beatitudes. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Do not lose your saltiness. This week, as we were doing Lectio, someone said, do not lose your witness." You are the light of the world. Don't hide your light, shine bright. Put it on display so that other people through your actions will see the glory and love of God. We do know that in ancient days, salt had a number of functions and was really important. It was a commodity. People bartered and traded with salt. Salt was used in sacrifices, Salt signified loyalty and covenant because eating together was called sharing salt. And sharing salt expressed a binding relationship. Salt was used for purification. It was used as a preservative. And we know that salt had a healing nature. In fact, the writer of Matthew points us back to the Old Testament, to 2 Kings chapter 19, where Elisha heals the bad water of a town by throwing salt into it. You know, in the same way, we know the salty ocean stings, but it helps cure our cuts We gargle salt water when our throats are sore. We take salt baths when our muscles ache. Our salty tears help us to grieve and release. In the same way, Jesus uses this metaphor of light turning to the Old Testament, alluding to its healing nature. He alludes to Isaiah 51, where God says, My justice will be a light to the nations. My righteousness will draw near speedily. My salvation is on the way. God's justice is a light to all. He will come to the rescue. He will save us. And of course, we also know this healing power of light. The warmth and comfort that a fire brings. The candles we light. As we pray for those who are sick or dying, the fireworks that light up the sky, the fireflies that dance in our yards, the dawn that finally breaks after a long, dark night. So in one very important way, God is saying to be the salt and the light of the earth, we must be healers. We must preserve the goodness of the kingdom. Even in the midst of darkness, we must keep things alive and thriving wherever there is threat of death or decay. We are called to change things. So practically, how can you be healing balm for someone this week? How can you hold vigil with those in need of comfort and relief. This week, I've really been ruminating on some other functions of salt and light. Flavor, seasoning, joy, laughter. Salt of the earth, light of the world, people bring flavor and seasoning to every aspect of life. They exude joy They see the cup half full. They invite others through their outlook and disposition to find goodness in all things and to embrace this wild and precious adventure of a lifetime. Salt of the earth, light of the world, people just have a certain spark. A few weeks ago, I watched the new Disney movie, Soul, with my mom. And last week's newsletter, I invited you to watch it as well for its deep connection to our sermon series. Now, if you didn't watch it yet, just be prepared that I'm about to ruin some of it for you. But as a side note... I've come to believe that even when we know the ending of books and movies, that doesn't ruin seeing and experiencing how the plot arrived there. The journey is the destination, if you will. Now in the movie, Joe Gardner is a middle school band teacher and a jazz musician who finally gets his big chance to play at the best jazz club in town with the great saxophone player, Dorothea Williams. Now, as he's leaving this gig with Dorothea, he's running and not paying attention, and he finds himself fallen into a hole. And then, unfortunately, he dies, and he ends up on this escalator to the great beyond. Terrified that Joe has missed his shot, he somehow escapes this escalator and then becomes a mentor at the great before, the place where these new little souls are getting their personalities and looking for their sparks. Now each new soul has to find their spark in order to get to earth, in order to jump out of the sky and fly down to earth to live. Joe is assigned to soul 22 someone nobody has ever been able to help find her spark, someone who finds no appeal in the human experience. Now through twists and turns in the plot, Joe and 22 make their way to earth, but 22 is the one who lands in Joe's body and Joe finds himself landing in the body of a cat. She experiences living for the first time through Joe and she finds way more enjoyment in life than she ever thought she would. Ultimately, as the movie progresses, Joe does find himself back in his own body in time to make this once in a lifetime jazz gig, after which Dorothea Williams invites him to permanently be in her quartet. As they're leaving the gig, Joe looks sad And Dorothea says to him, what's wrong? Joe says, I have been waiting on this day for my entire life, and I thought that I would feel different. She then tells him a story about a young fish who bumps into an older fish and says, hey, I'm looking for the ocean. And the older fish says, you're in the ocean. And the younger fish says, this is just water. This makes Joe think as he's riding his on, on the train on his way home. He looks around and he sees everyone staring at their phones instead of interacting with one another. Then he walks into his house that is dark and lonely and empty. He turns on a lamp and he sits down at his piano and he slowly and sadly starts to press some keys. And then he sees this stack of ordinary things that 22 had collected sitting on his nightstand. And so he picks up this old pizza crust, a piece of leftover bagel, a spool of thread, a lollipop, a bud from a tree, and a Metro card, and he lays them all out in front of him on the piano. He starts to play, and as he plays, he relives these memories, feeling what 22 felt the simple joy in tasting pizza for the first time, throwing a piece of bagel into a guitar case to support a musician, the lollipop he got after a haircut and how the haircut made him feel, the spool of blue thread that his mother used to sew his suit for his gig and her pride in him. And then all of a sudden, Joe finds himself rolling back over his whole life. He can see himself as an infant in the bathtub watching his mother bathe him. He sees his father introducing him to jazz through records. He sees himself riding a bike under lush green trees, watching a sunrise, seeing fireworks for the first time, eating a piece of pecan pie in a diner as the snow falls outside, teaching children how to play instruments, playing the piano for his aging father, standing in the ocean and feeling that salt go over his feet and finally riding the subway off into the sunset. He remembers 22 saying, maybe walking or sky watching can be my spark, to which he told her those aren't purposes, 22, that's just regular old living. And he realizes in that moment that he was wrong, that your spark isn't your purpose. Your spark is regular old living. The spark of life is waking up every day fully present to what is in front of you, experiencing the goodness of every moment. These days, it may feel hard to feel the spark of life. These days are monotonous and mundane, sometimes boring and dull. It can be hard to do simple things to for survive, let alone live life to the fullest. Just this past week, I found myself bogged down by the lack of normalcy. I miss seeing you all. I miss hugs. I miss being in physical community with one another. So I took a cue from Joe, and I walked to my neighborhood on this beautiful day, and I saw my neighbors, and I felt the wind blowing through me. I even went back to my house and got my dog and took her for a walk. And somewhere in the middle of a street, as I got lost in my music, I found myself singing and dancing, and I thought, who are you? And I realized that that was me. That is me in normal life and that there is something to recover in this time. It is so easy to miss the spark of ordinary life right now. The simple taste of good food, the wonder of our children, the pages of a book, a warm cup of coffee, the sunlight beaming through the trees. But today, our reminder is to embrace all of life in whatever season we find ourselves, to resist the temptation to simply live and live fully, to bring zest and sage and life acumen, joy, laughter, and light wherever we go because doing so invites other people to do the same. Today, I want you to remember You were marked with a kingdom spark a fire with which god made you a flicker that burns and yearns for a life spent seeing and being the good for a life focused on healing and reeling in others for the glory of god keep your spark stoked fan out and flame you only have one shot to live this wild precious life untamed wake up each day unencumbered and unafraid for it is from kingdom grit and glory that you were made. As the young poet Amanda Gorman beautifully put it, the new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Amen.